first day of 2023, I opened my Amazon Music app, and it gave me the rundown of all the music that I'd listened to from the previous year. And also, because we share kind of the echo dot in the house, there's two or three of them around, I could also see what everybody else was listening to. And so, we had a little conversation around the house, and my kids, I looked at my kids' music, and I didn't know half of the band's that they were listening to, and they looked at mine and, you know, saw some familiar things and worship music. But then they're like, hey, Dad, what is this music? Like 80s metal during your workouts? What is that? People are leaving right now. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I could describe all of this to you, or I could just say this. You know the music? that is played at the football games and the basketball games and any sporting event to get people hype, that's my music. Okay. No amens, please. So you can look up these great resources on, your, on iTunes, on Amazon music, et cetera, et cetera. There's also some things and resources we can use day to day or week to week or year to year, like screen time to find out how much time I'm spending on my phone. And maybe at the beginning of the year, you looked at your bank online and the, the center where you can see the pie chart of all the things that you spend money on and what categories you spend money on. Things that show us where we spend our time and what we spend our time listening to and doing or even where we spend our money. We can see all of those kinds of things at the touch of our hand. But let me ask you this this morning. If you were to review the playlist of your prayer life from this last year, what does that playlist look like? What does that screen time look like? What kind of request are you making before God what would be the top prayer request, the most repetitive prayer request, and how long did you do it? You don't have to answer that out loud. Do you pray? If you pray, why do you pray? What do you pray for? Are they mostly shotgun prayers, repetitive prayers, prayers of need or prayers of want? Do you believe prayer works? What prayers this year do you believe that God has answered either no or yes or in a different way or maybe for the last 10 years you've been praying the same prayer for the same person or the same thing in your life. And what type of prayer are you? You know, some people come to the scriptures and then Jesus says, ask anything in my name. And so if as long as I by faith believe what I'm asking, it doesn't matter what it is that God will answer my prayer because I want it as if God was this genie. Or maybe you're more stoic than that. Maybe you've got your theology right and you go, hey, well, God is sovereign over all things. He's providential, so he's just going to bring about all things. And so I really don't need to pray because he's in control of all things, right? So good theology, bad application. How do you pray? This morning, we're going to look like what it looks like to request things from God. We've looked already at Jesus' instruction from the disciples' prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer, haven't we? This is Jesus explaining to his disciples the pattern of prayer, the way they ought to pray. And we've seen that Jesus said, you need to pray to praise. You need to give God praise for who he is. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you also, in prayer, Jesus says to disciples, you need to confess. Forgive us. 
our debts or our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So we praise, so we confess. All of this is humbling ourselves before God. We also last week learned that we give thanks to God for who he is and what he has done, that we tell of his name and all the things that he gives us. And today, we're gonna look at what Jesus says about asking, requesting, supplication, if you want the churchy word. What does it look like to ask God for things? What should I ask God for? What should I not ask God for? What's proper? What's not? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Fourth master class, Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. I'm going to show you what Jesus says to pray for, and then we're going to look at how. And the motivation and the heart motivation behind praying that actually causes us to pray. Because you know this as well as I do. I can teach you. We can look at scripture and look at the pattern of prayer and how to do it all day. And that's helpful and informative. But does that make you a prayer warrior? Just knowing how to do it. Not so much. We'll start in Matthew 6. This is one of the two places where you see the disciples' prayer, where Jesus is instructing his disciples how to pray. And then, as we've said before, Luke 11 is the parallel synoptic text, and you see it again. And so we'll be in both of those passages today, but turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, in your Bibles. How about that? I think it's page 811. Did I get that right? In your Bibles or on your phone. And then bookmark Luke 11, and we'll be in verses 5 through 13 in just a bit. Let me read this again. This is the Lord's Prayer. We almost know it by osmosis. We don't have to memorize it. It comes to us the longer we're around church. Jesus says, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's praise. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's praise on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's an ask. It's also thanksgiving for daily bread. Verse 12, and forgive us. That's confession. Our sins or debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, spend some time here today. And lead us, this is an ask, not into temptation, but deliver us, that's an ask, from evil. When you consider the Lord's prayer, the disciples' prayer, What words jump out at you as asks? Where Jesus is instructing his disciples to ask the good father for something. I see words like give, not give me, give us. So it's communal, it's a churchly prayer. Give us, lead us, deliver us, forgive us. And so your first thought this morning is this. What do I need to pray for? What do I need to ask God for? Disciples of Jesus ask for Provisions, daily provisions, that's needs. We ask for protection as well and power. So disciples of Jesus, this is your first thought on your bulletin. Ask for provision, protection, and power. I see that in verses 11 and verses 13. Look at it with me. Verse 11, give us. Last week we talked about this is that God does give us these things so we can be thankful for provision. But he's praying, he's telling them to pray this together. Give us this day our daily bread. So we ought to pray for things like bread and water and clothing and shelter and health. These are foundational needs that we all have. And really, 
Much of the time we think we produce them and we have them. But as we said last week, these are gifts from God. They're gifts from God. Proverbs 30, Solomon says this, I don't want to be rich or poor. Here's what I want, God. I want to have what I need today. Think about that from Solomon. I just want to have what I need for today. Give me what I need for today. But keep looking. There's not only daily provision or need, physical need. Verse 13a, lead us not into temptation. The word temptation, that really has two thoughts behind it, and they're different. One is temptation from sin, right? Forgive us our sins. The other is testing. And we've got to rightly understand this phrase, or lest we think that Jesus is telling us that God is the one who tempts. God doesn't tempt, but he certainly does test the Bible will tell us. This is the idea of protection from temptation. It'd be like this kind of prayer. If I translated it, it would go something like this. Father, spare us. Spare us. Keep us from circumstances that would tempt us to fall into sin. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples to to pray, spare us from those circumstances so that we don't fall into sin because we can, and we often do. Keep us away from sin is what he's saying. The book of James really helps us understand verse 13 so we don't misinterpret it. The first thing is this, James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 says this, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. Yay, Right? For you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness. You see, it is God who tests us. You can't escape the testing of God in the Scripture, Old to New Testament. He certainly tests our faith. But if you just scroll a few verses down to verse 13 in the book of James, here's what James says to clarify what this steadfastness and what this testing looks like and also doesn't look like. He clarifies in verse 13, James chapter 1, he says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God, what is it? Cannot be tempted with evil himself. And look at this next phrase. This is important. God doesn't tempt you. And he himself tempts no one. God is not the one that tempts you. Who is? Look at the next phrase, verse 14. But each person, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. How does temptation work? God doesn't tempt you. You see, we are sinful people and we live, even if you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, the power of sin is broken according to Romans 6 and 7. That power is broken. You're no longer in chains. Praise God. But the presence of sin, Romans 7, still remains, doesn't it? So there's this fight, internal fight in your soul against things that you want and sin. And the sins that so easily entangle us, there is a war going on. The Bible calls that war the flesh, that we struggle within with temptations in the world around us. And so temptation is related to our own broken hearts, maybe redeemed hearts, but there is still the struggle of sin, right? Unless you're sinless, you understand this experientially, don't you? God doesn't tempt, he tests. 
but our hearts are prone to wander. Not only that, the world around us tempts us. And one other place in James, James chapter 4, I'll give you one more. There's one other source of temptation. Verse 7, chapter 4 of James. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist who? Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, what's behind everything in the world and what's behind all of this is the evil one, and he wants to tempt you into sin. And listen, the way that you resist him is not on your own. The way that you resist him is the first phrase in that verse, submit to God. Let him be Lord. And so understand what Jesus is saying back in the disciples' prayer and not saying. He's saying, pray for daily provision. And here's what he's also saying. Pray for spiritual need. Pray that you won't be tempted and fall into sin. That's what's on the playlist of prayer, y'all. Notice something. Physical needs. Jesus is saying, pray for those. And this isn't an exhaustive list. I'm not saying that. But pray for, he is instructing, and it is important to understand the primary emphasis of asking, according to Jesus, and you see it all the way through the Gospels, is physical need and spiritual need. So what's that playlist in your life looking like? Is it, Lord, keep me from sin. By your spirit, do a work in my heart right now when I'm sitting in front of this computer or my screen and nobody's there. Keep me from temptation. When I fall into temptation, deliver me. That's what it says. Deliver me from evil or literally the evil one. And so, y'all, we pray for God's provision, protection, and power. You know what's not on his list, Jesus' list of things that are high at least to pray for? (laughs) Our material comforts. I don't know about you, but if I look back at my playlist, there's probably plenty of things like that. And yet Jesus has given us some direction on how we ought to be praying. Maybe this year we need to align our ask around need, spiritual and physical. Maybe we need to take out the piece of paper or the app and go, what are the things, daily provisions that I need to be praying for? Some of you today is electricity right? Daily needs. Some of you, it's, man, I've struggled with this thing for so long. I need to be dependent upon God to help me with temptation that has come my way. At this point, we kind of move from three and a third or so weeks of showing you the pattern of Jesus's instruction on how disciples ought to pray. Praise, confession, thanksgiving, provision, basic and spiritual need. So you got the pattern. That's the pattern that Jesus lays out for us as disciples of the things that we ought to be praying for. But as I said before, does that make you a prayer warrior? Does that put you on your knees asking God to do what you can't do? I don't think it necessarily does. It helps frame prayer But turn with me to Luke chapter 11, and we're going to see the how of prayer and the heart motivation of prayer and what we need to be effective and prayerful and dependent in prayer. Luke 11, and we'll be in verses 
5 through 10. Same parallel text. You see it above that, verses 1 through 4. It's Luke's version of the disciples' prayer. But then he gives more commentary. Look at verses 5 through 10. He turns to the disciples who've asked him, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. He tells them how to pray, and then he turns back to them. And he says this in verse 5. And he said to them, that's the disciples, which of you who has a friend, so here's a story, all right? Imagine this. Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, so you're knocking on somebody's door, you're coming to somebody's door at midnight. What are you going to do? Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. So this is daily provision. For a friend of mine, so somebody else, who has arrived on a journey, but I have nothing set before them. I need to give these people something to eat, and I don't have anything. Here's the thing. Remember Israel? The virtue of hospitality, which is foreign to us. If somebody showed up at midnight to your house, you're like, I don't care if you're a friend or not. No. See, in Israel, if somebody showed up at your house at midnight, it didn't matter. And if you needed bread, and it says, look at the text where it says, um, where it says uh, there's nothing set before them, they always had like Sarah Lee coffee cake ready for the visitor. It was always ready, midnight or not. And so the friend didn't do what they sh- should have been doing. And, it, and then it says, he will answer from within. So this is the person that is, they want to borrow from. Do not bother me. That's rude in Israel. Doesn't matter if it's midnight. You don't do that in Israel. Hospitality is this incredible virtue that God has been hospitable with them, so they're hospitable no matter if it's midnight or not. How's that rub on you? Don't bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. Listen, kids, mom and dad, in Israel, most of the homes were one room. You had to sleep in the same place as your snoring dad, all right? You ate in the same room. You slept in the same room. One room. We complain about three or four bedroom homes. One room. And so he's saying, look, you're going to wake everybody up. We're all in the same place. I can't get up. That's seriously rude. And give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because of his friend, but he will because of impotence. That means Shameless, relentless asking. So this guy who showed up to get some bread for his friend who's at his house to another friend's house keeps on knocking, keeps on asking. He doesn't care what time of night it is. He's relentless with his ask, and that's why his friend does what? Gives him what he needs. And so Jesus makes the point at that point, In the story in verse 9, look at what Jesus says. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. That's the punchline. I want you to notice something. These are continuous verbs. Here's English class. They're continuous. Ask, seek, knock. And they also get bigger and bigger. Ask, that's a question. Ask and seek. Now we're getting up in somebody's business. Now we're going to keep knocking. There's a progression of words, and they're continuous. Jesus is saying, like, if you literally read this in the language, it would read like this. Keep on asking. 
and it will be given. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. So your second thought is this. How do we pray? See, disciples of Jesus pray with relentless persistence. That's what he's teaching his disciples. That's what he's teaching us this morning that we're praying. And notice something, it's, it's loaves. Context, it's loaves. It's not a Ferrari. He's not coming in the middle of the night saying, I want a Ferrari. Loaves, three loaves of bread. These are basic provisions. God provides basic provisions for you and me, spiritual and physical. You see this all the way through the scriptures. Remember Jacob? What does he do? He will not. Jacob was, had some messed up stuff. He, he was a messed up guy. He did some dumb stuff, but he would not let go of God. Do you remember the passage? Genesis 39, I believe. He won't let go of God until he blesses him spiritually. Remember, remember Hannah, when she was praying for a child, my soul poured out before the Lord. Relentless, persistent. Remember Ezra praying for the people that they would turn from their sins? Not just for himself, for the people of God. Relentless. Nehemiah for the building of the wall. Relentless. Jesus, when he called his disciples to himself, prayed all night. Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed so hard he sweated blood. So how do you pray? Do you throw up the prayer and never ask again? Jesus is saying to his disciples, keep on praying, keep on asking, keep on knocking. How do we pray? Persistently, Spurgeon has the best quote on this. Picture this, okay? Charles Spurgeon, about prayer and persistence. Listen to this. Prayer pulls the rope down below and the great bell rings above in the ears of God. Isn't that great? Some scarcely stir the bell, for they pray so languidly or lazily or apathetically. Others give only an occasional jerk at the rope. But he who communicates with heaven is the man who grasps the ropes boldly and pulls continuously with all his might. Are we pulling the rope that rings the bell of heaven. Are we pulling it continuously? Well, I don't want to bother God. You know, he's busy. I don't want to bother him. I can figure it out. And you know, maybe God hasn't, maybe he hasn't answered some of your prayers. Have you stopped praying? Don't stop praying. Keep on. Persistence. Relentlessness. Shameless before God. Praying for needs. Physical needs. Praying for spiritual needs. Help me through this temptation. I keep falling into sin over and over and over, but I'm still here. And I'm still asking you to do what I can't do. Are you pulling the rope that rings the bell of heaven? But there's something else. The reason people are persistent in prayer is because they believe something. 
They believe that God does answer their prayer. They believe that communion with God, relationship with God matters, that they are dependent upon him. And so keep looking at Luke here. He goes from persistence and relentlessness to something else. Look at it in verse 11. He gives them a different story. He turns it a little bit. He says, what father, to the disciples, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father, not an earthly evil father, give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Consider the story he gives. This father, this earthly father, giving his kids, notice kids, this isn't asparagus, all right, this isn't kale, you're with us today. All right, those are healthy for you. I know you don't like them. That's not what he says. He says, you ask for a fish, give them a serpent, something dangerous, something even poisonous. Or if he asks for an egg for breakfast, gives him a scorpion that will bite. If even an evil, even an evil earthly father wouldn't do something like that, probably. It's a story. He'd be calling CPS in two seconds. If someone who is even evil would never do that to their child, earthly father, how much more? Will a heavenly father give you, Matthew 7 in the parallel story says good gifts. This text gives us more information about what good gift. This is amazing. Give what? The Holy Spirit. What is Jesus communicating by talking here about the Holy Spirit? It kind of, if you look at it, it kind of comes out of nowhere almost. Like, where, where's he going? Who has been the counselor to these disciples? Who's been the helper? Who's been the advocate, the paraclete? Who's been that for them right next to them? Who's been the one to help them through temptation and trial? Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the Son of God. He's the second person of the Trinity. Father, Son. And what's about to happen to Jesus? You see, God has given himself to his people through the Son. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? See, God has given us himself. He's given us everything in his Son. But not only that, for salvation, that's what we believe about the cross, that you have a debt that you can't pay, that Christ paid it for you as the Son of God, that's God giving you the provision, the ultimate provision of salvation, right? The ultimate provision that you need most, more than anything else, even bread. That Jesus is the bread of life. He's given you that. But here it says not only that, guess what's about to happen? Jesus is about to die on a cross. And remember what? God says at the beginning of Pentecost in Acts 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, not only 
Y'all, listen to this. The Holy Spirit is not some force or just some power floating out there. It's the third person of the Trinity. And God the Father gives the Son. He gives himself. And he also gives himself again when he gives us the Holy Spirit. Because when those disciples, when Jesus dies, guess what the Holy Spirit does? The same thing that Jesus did. Counsels. Helps. Advocates provides, and here's the thing, when you turn to the New Testament and you look at the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the actual fuel in which your Christian life runs on. Can you think of any more incredible gifts that God could give than to give himself in his Son and in his Spirit? Wow. So your third thought this morning is this. Not only do we pray persistently and also for provision and power and protection, but our power and our protection and our provision comes through the Holy Spirit. We pray expectantly, but here's the thing. We pray expectantly. That's the point. We pray for God to give us good things that a good father would give but he's already provided, hasn't he? <laughs> he's already provided the main things that you need. He's provided his son, and he's provided his spirit. How do you see those gifts this morning? You know, one of the challenges, I, I think, of living out the Christian life is this. I want to touch it, right? I want to see it. I often look at the disciples and go, yeah, but you got to walk with Jesus. It's not as tangible, is it? We know it's there. We believe it's there. We believe in what Christ has done and the Spirit's work in our life, but it's, it's not as tangible as that thing that I've been praying for out there, right? When I was a kid, my parents in the summer, we were teachers, and so we would go on trips almost a lot of the summer. We'd go to, through the national parks and the state parks in New Mexico. My grandmother lived in Colorado, and so we would go up to Colorado and um, enjoy cooler weather, but also just play, three boys in a family. And I remember most of those trips involved fishing, trout fishing in lakes up in the mountains as well as streams. And my dad's like this scientist, so he's like got this couple masters in biology and chemistry. He's a chemist. And he's a biologist, he taught school, he's a chemist now at Dow, and so he knows everything about everything, pretty much. And um, we go fishing, and he's like, hey, look for rocks. Look for the different kinds of rocks. You might even find gold, jokingly, but it got us exploring, right? And so we go down to this stream, and I'm not having much luck with the salmon bait. Um, that's hard fishing, y'all. And I notice some shiny stuff in the creek and around the creek. And I have two younger brothers. And so, like, gold. We found gold. It's everywhere. So we're mapping out for like a couple hours. We're piling it together, looking at it, talking about what we're going to buy with it, what country we're going to buy with it or whatever. So we're down that road, and Dad comes over and like, Dad, look at, look at this. And he chuckles a little bit. And he's like, scientist voice, like, that son is actually pyrite, fool's gold. It's literally worth almost nothing. <laughs> K 
killed our thoughts. But we could see it. We thought it was gold. You know what I think? I think sometimes with prayer, we're just praying for fool's gold. That fool's gold out there that we're praying for, rather than realize he's already given us and lavished upon his, us his riches and his son and his spirit. And so we pray expectantly, believing that God will give us what's best for us. But man, he has given us so much. Do you know that truth? That God's best gift for you is his son that he's already provided and the riches of his grace. And if you know that message, he's given you his spirit that fuels your Christian life, that is your counselor, that is your helper, that is your guide. He's given us himself. I have a note right here not to get preachy right there, and I just did it. It's amazing. And you go, well, that's great. You know, I'm supposed to pray expectantly, persistently, but what about all those unanswered prayers, pastor? I got lots of them. God didn't heal the person I wanted him to heal. God brought storms in my life, didn't ask for. Broken relationships. We live in a broken world, and broken things do happen. So, so listen, sometimes the answer is no. Some people aren't willing to say that. Sometimes the answer is no. It's his will. It's his working. Notice in all of these different texts, these three different places we've been into, provision, Daily provision, spiritual provision. We often put on God things that he never promises. And yet he cares. The Bible says he is with us always. He's left us his spirit, the comforter, so he walks through it with us. Sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes he answers differently than we thought it would be answered. And the great theologian Garth Brooks Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. You know that. Have you seen it in your own life? You're like, praise God that he didn't answer that prayer. You might not be sitting with the person you're married to right now. It's tangible. But he's good. And he calls us to be a people who are dependent upon him for provision, for power and protection through his spirit, and he calls us to do it relentlessly. And he calls us to do it believing expectantly that he's a good father who does give good gifts to his children, even if those gifts aren't exactly what they wanted for Christmas. Let me close with this. 1924 was the first year the Dallas Theological Seminary was in existence. Lewis Berry Chafer was the president. And any, if you've ever started anything, more or less a school, you know that's hard sledding. So the first year, there were 10 to 15 students. And the purpose of the seminary was to teach pastors the truth of the word, to help train them so that they could go out into their churches and preach the word of God and the gospel of Christ. At the end of the year, they came down to the last week, and they were tight all year financially. And they prayed the last week, like, look, we're going to have to close our doors because we don't have funding for next year. The outside sources hadn't come in, and they didn't have funding. So every day, 
they came to Schaefer's office, the staff, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed, and prayed. And the last day, they were shutting down the doors that afternoon. Afternoon prayer, Harry Ironside, maybe you know that word, that guy from commentaries, old commentaries. Harry Ironside was a professor there. And he prayed a psalm in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms. Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. Would you sell some of them today so we can continue? Unbeknownst to him that very day, there was a rancher near the Dallas area, had a business deal, massive business deal in Dallas going down, took a bunch of his cows on his 30,000 acre ranch, sold them at the auction, took the check from the auction, deposited it in his bank, wrote another check. He had a business deal that day, and it fell through. And as clear as day, he would say, the Lord told me, I need to give this money to Dallas Theological Seminary. He went to a church that one of the guys pastored from there. And he takes a big old check with a lot of money, and he writes it, and he walks into that office of the secretary of Dallas Theological Seminary and tells her this is for the school. And he walks in, she walks in Schaefer's office. And the men there are praying. And he hands her, she hands him the check. And he looks at the check, and the check is in the amount of the money they need to keep the seminary going. And he hands the check to Harry Ironside. And he says, it looks like God sold the cows today. Pray expectantly. Pray persistently. Pray for daily needs. Pray for protection and power. This text, Jesus is saying, keep on asking. Keep on seeking. Keep on knocking. Your takeaway is this today, C3. Pull the rope below that rings the bell of heaven above. Let me pray, and then we're going to spend some time doing just that. We're going to spend a few minutes this morning, next five or so minutes, asking God for provision, asking God for spiritual protection and care and power over sin in our lives. We're going to spend time praying that we would be a people who persist in prayer, that we would be a people who believe expectantly that God will provide our needs.